Imagine for a moment a courageous person. What do they look like? Are they a man or are they a woman? When I imagine a courageous person, I think of my great uncle Jarvis. Jarvis was a career army ranger during the Second World War. He landed on Omaha Beach during the D-Day invasion of Normandy. Soon after the invasion, Jarvis was captured by the Nazis and held in a prison camp for two years. Amazingly, Jarvis and his fellow Allied soldiers broke out of the prison camp by stealing a German tank and driving it back to Allied lines. That is courageousness. Even though courage, or as the ancients called it, fortitude, is one of the four cardinal virtues, we tend to think of it as a masculine virtue, as something that men do. Yet, our story for this session, the story of Deborah in Judges chapters 4 and 5, gives us a very different image of courage. An image of courage that helps us understand the true meaning of faithfulness. Like many other stories from the book of Judges, the story of Deborah is a literary masterpiece. It's filled with puns and rhetorical flourishes. This is some of the most beautiful Hebrew in the Bible. Along the way, I'll do my best to point out some of the artistry in this story. The story begins in Judges chapter 4, verse 1, the way that most stories in this book begin. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. This is the consistent cycle of the book of Judges. God raises up a judge to deliver his people. When that judge dies, the people of Israel reject God and worship idols. God then hands his people over to foreign kings. Then the people cry out to God, and God again raises up a judge to deliver his people. On this particular occasion, the judge Ehud has died, and the people are oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan. Jabin's capital is at Hazor, in the north of Israel, near the Sea of Galilee, right in the heart of the tribe of Naphtali. We learn from Judges chapter 4 that Jabin has oppressed Israel for 20 years. A key piece of Jabin's success is his cavalry. He has 900 chariots commanded by Sisera, his general. This is the equivalent of a tank in the ancient world. It'd be difficult for anyone to successfully defeat this superior military force. But God remains faithful to his people. He hears their cry and he raises up a judge to rescue them. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Deborah is a very different kind of judge. First, and most obviously, 
Deborah's a woman. She is the only female judge in the book of Judges. Her name in Hebrew means bee, like the small insect. Think of her as the queen bee of Israel. And this bee is quite busy. See, many judges would travel around Israel, arbitrating disputes. But Deborah has so much business, she stays in one place. She sits under a palm tree in the hill country of Ephraim, and people come to her for judgment. Second, Deborah is called a prophetess. Unlike the other judges, she is not a military leader. She leads God's people with her words by rendering judgment for the people and by speaking the word of God. Third, Deborah is the wife of Lapidoth. Here in the Hebrew, this is a play on words. Lapidoth means fire. Of course, it's possible that Deborah's husband was named fire. However, it's more likely a comment on Deborah's character, that she is a woman of fire, a fiery woman. In order to deliver Israel, this fiery woman needs to light a fire under a local militia leader named Barak. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Obimnoam, from Kadesh Natali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, with his chariots and his troops, and I will give them into your hand. Barak is a local militia leader from the tribe of Naphtali, the tribe that is being oppressed by the Canaanites. His name means lightning. But it seems that this name is slightly ironic, as Barak is not the quickest soldier. He's already heard the word of the Lord. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Yet for some reason, Barak has not obeyed the command of the Lord. Many commentators have speculated why this is. Perhaps he was unsure whether he actually heard the Lord. Or perhaps he thought that victory was impossible. But the most likely reason is that Barak is afraid. He's a member of the tribe of Naphtali. He personally knows the sufferings of his people, the oppression of Sisera and Jabin. Yet he's refused to act. He cannot find the courage to do what is necessary to deliver his people and so his people suffer. Yet Deborah sees Barak's fear. And rather than berating him or dismissing him, Deborah chooses to encourage him. Deborah, the prophetess and judge, reminds Barak about the word from the Lord. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather the men at Mount Tabor, taking 10 thousand of the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. What's so interesting about this prophetic word of encouragement is that the Lord, not Barak, is the subject. It is the Lord 
who will draw out Sisera. It is the Lord who will give Sisera into Barak's hand. All Barak has to do is muster up 10,000 troops. Sometimes it's difficult to find courage in the face of fear. Fear can cause us to doubt the goodness and power of God. Fear can cloud our vision, blinding us to the work of God in our midst. But in those moments of fear, often the most helpful thing is a word of encouragement. Etymologically speaking, the English word encouragement literally means to put courage into someone. And this is exactly what Deborah does. Deborah, the prophetess and judge, puts some of her courage into the cowardly Barak. And Deborah's words move Barak to action and obedience. They have such an impact on Barak that he asks for Deborah's help. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Barak's request here is somewhat unbelievable. It completely subverts our expectations. We expect Barak, the man, to be the courageous soldier. Yet the militia leader named Lightning needs the help of a fiery woman named B. Sometimes courage comes from the most unexpected places. Deborah responds to Barak's request with another prophetic word. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So what does this prophecy mean? At this point in the story, the reader assumes that Deborah, not Barak, will receive the credit for delivering Israel. However, the true meaning of the prophecy will become clear at the end of chapter 4. Suffice to say, Barak doesn't care about the glory. He knows he needs Deborah in order to succeed, and he is fine with that. And by the grace of God, Barak and Deborah do in fact succeed. In verses 10 through 16, Barak routs the 900 chariots of Sisera with 10,000 Israelite soldiers, an underdog victory to say the least. At the moment of decision, Deborah again encourages Barak to fight, proclaiming, Up! For this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? The defeated Sisera then flees to the nearby camp of Heber the Kenite, who is a distant relative of Israel, now allied with the Canaanites. There Sisera seeks refuge in the tent of Heber's wife, Jael. And it is Jael, not Deborah, who is the unlikely woman hero of this story. In verse 18, Jael seduces Sisera, inviting him into her tent and covering him with a blanket, urging him to turn aside. This is a euphemism for sex. In verse 19, the exhausted Sisera asks for water. 
And like a nurturing mother, Jael offers Sisera a new skin of fresh milk. Verse 21, Sisera, comforted and relaxed, falls asleep on Jael's mat. This is when she strikes. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. The prophetic pronouncement of Deborah comes true. The Lord has indeed sold Sisera into the hand of a woman. But in an unexpected twist, this woman is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, not Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth. This amazing story of the Lord's unexpected deliverance of his people is artfully recounted in the Song of Deborah, Judges chapter 5. This song is perhaps one of the oldest parts of the book of Judges, and it has some beautiful language and some amazing Hebrew poetry. Here's just a taste of it. Most blessed woman be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of the tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank. He fell, he lies still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. So what are we to make of this story? Most basically, this story is about the virtue of courage. Following Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas defines courage as firmness of mind in the face of grave danger, especially death. The virtue of courage does not belong to men or to women. It belongs to all human persons. Because all human persons face grave dangers, all human persons face death. Courage is the virtue that enables us to act in the face of the danger of our lives. Like our world today, the ancient world tended to associate courage with men. So like us today, the ancient world would have been surprised by Barak's cowardice and Deborah's great courage. But the good news of this story is that Barak, the coward, becomes courageous through Deborah. How is this possible? Well, in the Hebrew imagination, courage was not about heroics in battle, but faith in the Lord. It takes courage to have faith. Conversely, if faith is an act of courage, then idolatry is an act of cowardice. Every time the people of Israel abandon God and worship an idol, they are, like Barak, failing to act with courage. And every time you or I abandon faith in God and trust instead in other powers, other idols, we are like Barak. We're acting as cowards. Idolatry is easy. Idolatry doesn't ask anything of us. 
But faith requires us to risk everything, to put our total trust in God. If we're honest with ourselves, the truth is that we are all cowards like Barak. All of us fail to trust Jesus from time to time. And when our courage fails, we need not despair. Instead, we must seek out encouragers like Deborah. Deborah shows her courage, not by fighting in battle, not by defeating Sisera, but by giving encouragement to Barak. She does not put down her brother, but she stands by his side in faith. When Barak could not imagine God's deliverance of his people, Deborah believed and she encouraged. The story of Deborah and Barak reminds me of one of my favorite moments from another story. Near the end of The Lord of the Rings, there's this moment when Frodo Baggins loses hope. He, the hero of the story, the one bearing the ring of power to Mount Doom, loses hope. With every step of his journey, the burden becomes heavier and heavier. He does not want to go on. Yet with every step, right there, is his friend, Samwise Gamgee, encouraging Frodo as he bears his burden. Sam cannot bear the ring for Frodo, but he can support and encourage him. And right there, outside the gates of Mount Doom, at the very end of their journey, Frodo collapses. He cannot take another step. So Sam, the faithful, and encouraging friend says, Come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go and he'll go. In two of his letters, St. Paul mentions the ministry of Tychius. Like Deborah, Tychius was an encourager who was sent by Paul to churches in both Ephesus and Colossae in times of great difficulty. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Similarly, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes, Tychius will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The Apostle Paul knew how critical it was for the church to find encouragement in difficult times, in the face of danger and certain death. Perhaps you are an encourager like Deborah and like Tychius. If so, we need your gift. But even if encouragement is not your gift, all of us can and should practice encouragement. In our everyday moments of fear and difficulty, when we are tempted to give up and to lose faith, we must ask God for courage. And if we can't find courage within ourselves, we should seek out faithful friends, 
brothers and sisters in Christ who, like Deborah, like Tychius, can put courage into us. The life of faith, friends, is impossible without courage. The story of Deborah and Barak shows us that we can't live the life of faith alone. We need the faith of others to encourage us, to carry us in times of doubt and danger. May God bless you and your study of Judges chapters 4 and 5.